Welcome to the Wear Wag Repeat Podcast. I'm Tori Mystic, here with my dog Lucy. Together we're interviewing cool, creative women entrepreneurs whose work is inspired by their dogs. Do you dream of working alongside your dog? Then sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. On this episode, I'm taking you on a trip through Europe and South America through the lens of a couple of adventure travelers and their dog. Hear all about what it takes to travel internationally with your pup and how this trio raised awareness for rescue dogs during their travels. We'll also talk about writing for major publications like National Geographic. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Jen Sotolongo is a blogger and photographer at Long Haul Trekkers, among other fun trades like writer, digital influencer, and vegan recipe developer. From 2015 to 2017, she and her partner took their dog, Sora, a rescued Australian shepherd, on a bicycle tour across Europe and South America. These days, you can find them running long distances in the woods, hiking in the Cascade Mountains, or indulging in a beer at a dog-friendly brewery. Hey, Jen! Hey, Tori. How's it going? Good. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to hear about your travels. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So why don't you start off by um, telling everyone a little bit about Long Haul Trekkers, which is the name of your blog, and what it's about. Uh, Long Haul Trekkers started off as kind of a documentary of our the bicycle trip that we took across Europe and South America and has kind of evolved into um, more about adventure travel with dogs. We, you know, when we were planning our trip, we really didn't want to leave Sora behind, and we needed to figure out a way to travel that would, where we would be able to bring her along. And so bicycle was one of the few ways that we could figure out how to do that internationally. And so we just really believe that, um, People can travel with their dogs, and it takes more effort and more logistics and more planning, but it's, you know, for us, it's definitely worth it. And I think a lot of people want to do trips like we have done and want to figure out how to bring their dogs. So we try to be that source to uh, help people figure out how to bring their dogs along on their journeys. And Sora already is speaking up. She wants to go on another trip right now. Yes, she does. (laughs) (laughs) so what was what was some of the most difficult parts about that trip I mean you guys were gone for like two years right yep so that's a long time to be out in the world just you and your partner and your dog so what were some of the biggest challenges it definitely was a long time um which was which became a challenge eventually I got very burnt out Um, being on the bicycle for so long because I'm more of a runner and a hiker. So I was really starting to miss those activities. Um, One of the most difficult parts actually was seeing how pets, specifically dogs and cats, are treated around the world. In Western Europe, they treat them pretty similarly to how we do here in the U.S., once we got into the Balkans and Turkey and then through most of South America, they're just kind of animals. They're not really pets and they're not really loved and they're not cared for in the same way. And we saw a lot of mistreatment and abuse and um, just a lot of really heartbreaking things. And 
it was really difficult for us, one, because we wanted to take them all home with us, which was not possible, of course. And two, it was it was hard to see these things and kind of figure out our place in this. You know, how do we educate without, you know, imposing our Western views on on these cultures? And um, so some of the ways we did that was by volunteering with uh, an animal rescue groups along the way. Um, some other hard, hard parts about the journey were Patagonia for sure. Southern Patagonia is this vast, uh, isolated place with really huge distances in between cities. So we had to carry food for five days. Um, the roads were sometimes gravel, which our bikes were not really made to be traveling across gravel. Um, and the winds in Patagonia were just insane. They were, um, like 40 miles an hour. And some days we couldn't, you, you couldn't even bike. Like you just would start biking and the wind would just knock you over. And so, we learned how to hitchhike in Patagonia. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like all this extreme weather and extreme landscapes has led to some really awesome photos also. Um, so you take amazing photos of Sora and Dave makes a cameo a lot and occasionally <laughs> you end up in front of the camera too. So um, I think that some of your South America photos like really stick out in my mind, but do you have any favorite locations that you've specifically photographed, not just favorite locations to visit, but that had amazing photography possibilities? Yes. Um, the Salar de Uyuni in Bolivia uh, was where I got what I called the photo. It was a photo that's won several contests. Um, and it's a photo of Sora with her Rex Specs goggles on and our bikes in the background. And the salt flats are just flat, um, you know, salty hexagons for miles and miles and miles. And they just create the perfect background for photos. Um, and then uh, we did a hiking trek. We traded our bikes for some from poorly fitting rented backpacks <laughs> and did a trek in the Ausangate Mountains in Peru, which are kind of near uh, Machu Picchu. And it was just epic scenery. The mountains were right in your face and we passed through 5,000 meter passes and um, I just was super photo happy there. Um, let's see. I got to practice a lot of waterfall shots in Colombia because people would, um, we would just ask locals where to hike because we didn't, we don't really like doing very touristy things. And it's also often hard to do those touristy things when you have a dog. And so we would just ask people where we should go. And I would tell people that I like waterfalls and, you know, it's hot so we could swim and it was just, you know, perfect little destination. And so, Colombia is just filled with waterfalls and there was all these secret hikes where there was no people. And so I got to practice lots of waterfall shots there where we had the falls completely to ourselves, which was awesome. So I yeah. could take lots of photos and practice. You take amazing waterfall photos. Um, oh, like what is it? Waterfall Wednesday? 
on yep. Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you have any tips on taking waterfall photos? I can't really take Lucy to a waterfall because she just wants to be in the water. <laughs> and usually it's kind of dangerous for her to go in because yeah. it's like fast moving water. Um, so so we can't really go. But <laughs> maybe, maybe someone who's listening um, could use some waterfall photo tips. Sure. Um, so I initially I was just hoping that Sora would stay still for a few seconds and my photos were coming out blurry. So I've learned to combine two photos. So I'll take a photo with Sora and Dave usually because um, he can help her sit still better than if she's just alone. Um, so I'll take a photo with the two of them just with like a normal shot you know, with a normal, with a faster shutter speed. So they don't have to sit still for too long. And then I'll remove them and take the longer exposure with their waterfall. So I bring my tripod, um, I set my ISO to 100 and then I'll just take a bunch of different shots at different speeds to try and get the, the effect that I want. Um, and then I'll just edit them in Lightroom and try and get similar colorings in both. And then I'll combine them um, in Photoshop, which I'm still practicing how to do. Uh, so I, I try a variety of techniques to try and see which ones I like best. And so far, they're, they're turning out pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think they turn out awesome. So I, I was just saw some article somewhere. And the reason you turn down the shutter speed is because it gives the waterfall that like flowing kind of motion look right yep yeah yeah and then yeah so that's why I kind of play with it because if you leave it for too long it kind of looks like just a blur if you leave it for too short it's still a little splashy and then when I'm editing I'll um I'll use the uh I forget the exact name of the tool um I'll turn the clarity down just on the waterfall to kind of make it more smooth um, and then I play with the colors to see if uh, maybe I like it a little more blue or a little more green, kind of depending on what the watercolor is. Um, and I learned, I took one recently on a backpacking, a solo backpacking trip I did with Sora. And <laughs> I learned it's really hard to do that shot when you're by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so take a helper. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be something cool to try with like a sunset or a sunrise photo too because um, usually your dog or you or whoever the subject is would be all backlit. But if you could like combine them, that might turn out really cool. I've tried that recently and I need to ask on some photo groups because my problem with sunsets a lot of the time, I guess I've had that problem mostly here because the sunsets in the West or on the West Coast. Um, is that the background is so lit. And if I want more of a silhouette, I haven't figured out how to expose for both mm -hmm. because when I go to blend them, the background's either too bright or it's too dark and the colors don't match, so it looks weird. So that one I'm still I'm still trying to figure out. There's some trick somewhere. If, I, if someone has an idea, they can send us both a message. <laughs> Please. <laughs> So um, let's go back to your international travel with Sora because there had to have been a lot of logistics and paperwork. 
Like, I am just curious if I can even take my dog to, like, Toronto, Canada, because I live in the United <laughs> States, let alone traveling to, like, how many countries did you guys hit? Like, did you have to do separate papers for everywhere? Like, what what happened? Um, so Sora has been to, I think it's 24 countries, including wow. the U.S. and Canada. So we hit 22 on our trip. Um as far as logistics, so we started in Norway, which is one of the more difficult countries to get to. Uh, a lot of people ask about quarantine, which we did not have to quarantine Sora. It's really mostly island nations like Iceland and New Zealand that require quarantine. Um, so we just avoided those countries. Norway required um you have to get a health certificate from your vet, and then you have to get an official national health certificate from the USDA, and you have to make that appointment 10 days before you leave. Um, and they're not in every state, so we had to go to the one in Olympia, even though we're from Oregon. Um, and um, then we had to get, she, we had to make sure she was updated on all her rabies vaccines and um, flea and tick medication, things like that. And then for Norway, she needed, I don't even know, some test that had to be administered something like no fewer than 72 hours before arrival, but no fewer than 48 hours after arrival is something complicated like that. So it was like, if our flight was delayed, then right, we were in trouble. Luck, right. Yeah. Um, and then when you arrive, you have to call the like their USDA equivalent, and they have a vet come meet you at the hospital, or sorry, at the airport, mm-hmm. um, and they check her microchip, which for Europe, they run on different frequencies, so Sora has two microchips. Oh, they wow. They check her microchip, all her paperwork, and then send you on, her, on, on your way. Um, once we were in Europe... In the EU, she was fine. We didn't have to worry about crossing borders with her. Um, in the Balkans, we didn't really do anything because those countries kind of don't care. <laughs> we didn't really ask. And when you're crossing borders by land, by bicycle like we were, they don't they don't always see Sora. She was in the trailer, so we just kind of didn't say anything. Um, and then we actually had one kind of stressful moment where we – went from Turkey to Greece, which is back in the EU, and Turkey is a high-risk rabies country. So we were supposed to have gotten this teether test three months prior to entering Greece, um, but we didn't. (laughs) We got it done, and the vet we worked with kind of botched the dates for us, and (laughs) we had to stay in Turkey a couple weeks longer to wait for the results to come back. And luckily, we were we were just traveling to a really small island, so we came on a small border. It was in the middle of the whole Syrian refugee crisis and Greece's like bankruptcy crisis. So there was a lot of other things going on for them to worry about besides our dog coming in with right. potential babies, which we knew she didn't have. Right. Um, so that was that was like the only time we were ever really worried about crossing a border. Um, but yeah, South America was kind of similar to the Balkans. We didn't. We didn't really say anything a lot of the time. Chile was very strict, but mm-hmm. otherwise it's it's about the same. You need your health certificate from a vet, from the the country USDA equivalent, and then 
updated rabies and other vaccines. So it's right. not it's not as difficult as it sounds. And once you do it once, you kind of get used to it. Right. So when you originally flew over, did she travel underneath in like the where they put the animals like by the cargo or was she in the cabin with you guys? She was in the cabin with us. Um, she's an emotional support animal uh, for Dave. He suffers from anxiety and panic attacks. So he was able to get her certified to kind of help keep him calm on the flight. And that only works for flights originating to and from the U.S. and then on uh, at the airline's discretion. Right. So what flew from um, Greece to Argentina... The EU does not recognize emotional support animals, so we had to put her under, which was not fun. Um, but we just, you know, we told everyone involved in the flight that we had our dog on board. We told the pilot. We told all the staff. We told the check-in people. We checked in on her at layovers. Um, and so, I mean, she was, you know, she obviously came out okay, but... You know, it's definitely stressful to do it that way and not not be able to be with your dog when when you're flying and and just have them be under there without you knowing how they're doing. So. Right. I think that would be the hardest part. Yeah. 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 If we can avoid it, we we try to always make sure we fly through the U.S. or on an airline that that allows emotional support animals. Running your own business isn't easy. There is so much to keep up with every day to let people know that you exist. Posting on social media can be really effective, but who has time to research all the latest algorithms and strategies to gain new followers and get them to your website? Based on everything I learned growing my Instagram presence for my own account, which is at tmystic, I created a new business called Instamystic. I'm here to help you magically create positively engaging Instagram content, whether you're promoting your dog, your business, or yourself. You can learn more about how I can help you at torimystic.com. That's T-O-R-I-M-I-S-T-I-C-K.com. And since you're a loyal podcast listener, I created a free bonus just for you. Get 24 of my go-to dog mom hashtags by visiting torimystic.com slash dogmom. You can also find a direct link to this list in the show notes of this episode. Well, Sora is just like such a superhero <laughs> dog because when you guys went to Columbia, she kind of became a celebrity and was on TV and in the newspaper and everything, right? Yep. Yep. So tell us all about how that happened. And um, you kind of mentioned earlier working with some nonprofits and doing some animal welfare awareness kind of things. Um, what was that all about? And what was Sora raising awareness for? So um, when we were I'm sure you, you guys did some of the work, too. <laughs> we did a little bit, but, but it, was, it was mostly Sora and the organization. <laughs> um, so we worked with an organization called Defensores that um, is based out of Medellin, Colombia, and they work to educate the, the population about animal welfare and the importance of adopting Um it all started when a group of college students noticed that they were um, leaving out poison for dogs that they were finding on campus. 
and they were horrified and put a stop to it. And now it's become this really amazing organization. Uh, so we reached out to them and, you know, we told them that we just wanted to volunteer with them in some way. And, you know, how can we help? And they came back and said, we want Sora to be the face of adoption in Medellin. And so they made all these posters. We presented in front of city council. We held a Q&A with the um, at the university where where Defensores was created, um, talking with the public about the importance of adoption. And, you know, in in South America, people don't there's street dogs everywhere and people don't see them as adoptable animals because they want the beautiful purebred dogs because a, they're beautiful and because they they're a status symbol. And so you, you see all these people walking around with these designer breeds. And meanwhile, you know, you can just really walk to the nearest park and find some adorable dog there and get it off the street. And so that's that's a big problem in places in South like like South America. Um, so we were just trying to raise awareness about that. Um, you know, and Sora is adopted, and she um, was very popular in South America because they don't really have Australian shepherds, and so people would always ask about her, and like <laughs> they would ask us how much she was because they wanted to breed her and have puppies and you know we explained that that's not possible because she's spayed and right. um we always a made lot a point of other reasons <laughs> yes <laughs> like, no you can't buy my dog <laughs> um and we always made sure to say that she was rescued um and so so yeah so we were on tv with her for local channels and um it was really fun and it was just really amazing to be able to be the face of adoption in in a place where they don't really understand why why that's important right when you told people that she was adopted did most people even know what you're talking about um they didn't they didn't really ask about it they just kind of like oh so i don't know if it sunk through to most people we talked to. It's not as to, big of a concept there as it is here. Um, so I think one of the things that I like to kind of get into with everyone on the podcast is how they've made a, a business, really, and how they're working together with their dogs. So you've you've talked about you know all your travels and everything, but one of the, one of the things that you do is write for other publications, um, mm-hmm. and so. Tell us a little bit about when you found out that you were going to write something for National Geographic. <laughs> that um, was really amazing because they found me. They reached out to me and they it was originally going to be a Instagram takeover, but that ended up not working out. And instead they said, why don't you write about 10 adventures to take with your dog? And I just, you know, we got the email And I was just in disbelief because writing for National Geographic was a childhood dream of mine. And to have them just find me and reach out on, you know, to me from them was 
you know, it didn't seem real. And then I responded to the email and he replied back. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God, this is real. Um, so yeah, um, I wrote a, a blog post for National Geographic Adventure Online uh, about 10 trips to take with your dog. And um, it just ranged from uh, hut to hut cross-country ski trips in the winter to uh, races you can run with your dog to backpacking trips to, of course, cycling trips. Um, and in the process, I discovered all these other trips that I want to do with my dog. So, right. um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I really hope to write more pieces like this because I feel like there's, there's not a huge... Um, there's not a huge uh, number of outlets where there's kind of that that bridge of adventure travel with dogs. There's the adventure magazines that sometimes feature dogs. There's the dog magazines that sometimes feature travel and traveling with your dogs. Um, but I haven't I haven't really found that sweet spot where you know I can I can really write about you know all the adventures we've taken with Sora, or how to travel with your dogs. So. Um, I'm hoping to, to, to dive into that a bit more and, and be writing for more publications in the coming year. Yeah. So how do you usually find publications to write with? Like if someone who's listening to this is a blogger or an influencer and they are really passionate about some topic, um, what would you recommend that they do if they want to kind of get into that? Um, <laughs> It's, I've been doing a lot of self-educating lately on this topic. Um, you know, the, I started out by pitching magazines, and I, I still am. Um, and the thing with magazines is that they can take a long time to reply or get back to you, or sometimes you're not paid until publication, which can be six months down the line. Um, and so I've been looking more into online publications, which there's a lot of variation of those and they want to get content out quickly. And so they're publishing more often. Um, so I, um, I belong to, um, a great Facebook group. There's all these different kind of subsections of it and it's called the binders. So it's binders full of women. Um, so it's all women and there's, <laughs> I know it's the best name ever. Um, so there's like binders full of travel writers, binders full of copywriters, binders full of food writers. There's, I don't even know, probably at least 15 different subsections. And so it's a great place to go if you're starting out or if you're, um, if you've been doing this for years to so just ask questions and you know, you, they have byline brags once a week and it's, you know, it's been a really supportive community. Um, and then I've also been doing some webinars from, um, Gabby, I can't remember her last name, her website's dream. I think it's dream of travel writing. She has webinars. Um, and yeah, so I've just been kind of finding freelance writers and, copying what they do basically that's kind of how I get by on all these things I find what other people are doing that I want to do and I mimic it so. well yeah you have to figure it out somehow exactly. <laughs> um so do you have any fun trips coming up yeah um tomorrow we are headed to Arizona with another um blogging friend 
from the Seattle area, and we are headed to meet a group of, I think there's going to be 20 of us and our 29 dogs, and we're doing a camping trip um, near, near Phoenix. So we all met on Instagram and just have become good friends. And one girl was already planning this cross country trip with her husband and two of her dogs from North Carolina. And eventually, you know, over time, a lot of us chimed in and was like, well, Arizona is not too far from us. We could make this trip happen. And it's turned into this massive doggy sleepover. So we'll be going, we'll be leaving tomorrow and, um, We'll be gone for about 10 days, I think. So we're really looking forward to that. That's so amazing. So all these people and 29 dogs are going to be camping out in Arizona for like <laughs> a week or five days or something. Well, the camping, the whole group outing is just one night. Okay. We'll be hiking on either end of both those days. And then the rest of us will either be road tripping or... I guess the Arizona people will probably be working up until then. Suckers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see the photos from all of that. I'm guessing um, when, by the time this podcast comes out, this trip will have already happened a while ago. So um, where can everyone go to find photos and everything? Um, They can look for photos of the trip on Instagram at Long Haul Trekkers and on our blog, which is longhaultrekkers.com. I'm, I'm sure I'll write a post or two about the trip. Yeah, um, I'm sure you'll... Hopefully for some outlets too, any magazine outlets that want to take interest in this trip. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's listening, that sounds yeah. amazing. Um, okay, so one last question that I have to ask you. Um, what qualities do you think that you and Sora share? Um, we both love trail running, which... I've always known, but I kind of discovered lately because uh, where we where we currently are staying, there's not a ton of trails nearby, and we both just lag on the pavement. We're both so slow and unmotivated. So we both definitely love being outdoors. Um, we are both morning people, and um, I think we both don't like being inside, which is probably why she's been whining this whole time I've been I on this know. podcast. Poor Sora. <laughs> well i guess we'll let you guys go so you can go outside and (laughs) be near some trees (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show jen thanks so much for having us tori it was a lot of fun yeah Thank you for listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. You can fetch show notes for this episode at wearwagrepeat.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, Lucy and I will see you around the dog park.